Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Varieties the Spice of Life podcast. We're back early this time around because uh, we don't really keep schedule. Um, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Vim. Hey, Hattie. Uh, and I am Daniel. <laughs> I mean, we don't keep the schedule, but we don't know when there's going to be a release. So they might still get it on time. This is true, but doubtful every month maybe <laughs> let's do it it's <laughs> just early august instead of mid-august mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fine we'll get there we'll work something out that we will <laughs> but we bill ourselves as a variety show where we talk about nearly everything um and you may remember back in episode one Vin, we promised them cooking stuff we did I think we're overdue for some cooking stuff <laughs> it was foolish of us to promise anything but yes we will deliver today and you've been experimenting with some MSG at home lately. Darn right, darn right. So MSG uh, is something that I did not really have that much of uh, in my formative cooking experience. Uh, it was all around my household where it was uh, referred to as just chicken powder because I thought that there was no Vietnamese translation of it. Uh, it's referred to as chicken bouillon powder uh, in other transliterated Chinese sayings of MSG. See, I thought that just meant powdered chicken stock. It does not. It does not at all. <laughs> okay. It's simply a mistranslation, right, because that's the closest equivalent that they have. I thought bouillon was French for stock, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's the Chinese name for MSG when it is translated uh, is referred to as that because I think historically speaking, uh, that was the, the nearest kitchen ingredient in US stores that could be substituted for MSG and have an over time with. So in like okay. rise of American Chinese cooking, chicken uh, mm-hmm. powder was like the substitute. Uh, and so they are roughly equivalent terms uh, because of that divide. Oh, there you go. Yes, <laughs> a little history there that may or may not be true. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Um, so MSG, uh, it is. They sort of describe it as you know the fifth taste of umami, right? but frankly, Dan, I do not really have a taste for like. I don't really recognise umami as a taste by itself. Mm mainly because it's like very undefinable and if you eat msg by itself it tastes like mildly bitter mildly sour it doesn't really taste That's interesting yeah because i tasted it when i came to visit you and you were experimenting with it with me just yeah. that like was like your first test and i tasted absolutely nothing on the msg on its own yeah but like while i can't describe it i definitely know what umami is like mm. like i can't mm. describe it with words other than umami it's just that little something right it's that little something but like the msg straight tasted like absolutely nothing yeah so it's a magical ingredient i don't understand how it works um i do know that in terms of what umami flavor is in terms of a research basis uh, there are synergistic receptors on your tongue that detect for glutamate another enzyme called inosinate and another one uh, as well for three different sources of like synergistic umami flavor 
And that's where, you know, all of my Raman base experiments go from. Uh, but experimenting with glutamate in areas in which it should not be is an enlightening experience. Uh, where have you been putting this MSG? Ice cream, Dan. <laughs> you know how you can get like a salted caramel, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I thought, well, look, if unusual tastes go together, you know, like sweet and sour, we get like uh, bitter and sweet uh, together. We get like sort of spicy and sweet as a combo and we get salty and sweet for salted caramel. Why not umami plus sweet? Right. That tracks. That tracks, right? And so I've been doing some experiments where I've been putting MSG on things that ordinarily one would not season uh, with this. You would just use salt, nine times out of 10. I've discovered that eating it with cheese, actually fantastic. Eating it with cured meats, right? If the cured meat is a little bit uh, gamey or like intense in its flavor, it can actually round it out and make you able to Mm -hmm. eat, right? And on the sweet things, right, it adds this uh, slightly more round dimension so that if you, the thing that you're eating right, has a lot of just, you know, that sugar sweetness taste, right, you can actually s- settle that down and then essentially all of the other primary flavors, like, say, the vanilla in the ice cream, right, they come up a little bit more. So essentially, if you buy garbage tier ice cream, Right, which I do because I'm a volume man rather than a... Why would you do that? No. It's like when you can get $4, four litres of vanilla ice cream, right, and I'm putting Milo on it anyway, what's the... <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. If you bought good quality ice cream, you wouldn't have to drown it in Milo. <laughs> mm. Alas, like I like vanilla. Milo. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I mean. Right? So if you have that sort of... Uh, flavor profile where the, the sugar is overdone, right, then MSG can actually settle that down and then round out the overall flavor. And essentially means that you're not tasting any particular one dimension of the thing. A vague idea of how I think this works right, is the same way how if you put salt in you know, a shot of espresso, uh, when your tongue tastes the saltiness in there, and it doesn't actually register that as a salt taste, uh, your tongue becomes essentially overloaded uh, with a lot of different jobs. And it has to split its task between registering the bitter and registering the salt. So if there is a little bit of salt in there, uh, then it's distracted from sensing the bitter. And so salted coffee is less bitter. Um, in the same way, I think that if you put MSG on something that's very sweet and you don't really have a sweet tooth uh, like me, uh, with that, because your mouth is tasting this umaminess, it is distracted from tasting the sugar bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when it pulls all of these, these levers down, uh, it pulls the sugar tasting part down from a larger sort of percentage than the minimal amount of, say, vanilla in there. Uh, and then so the sugariness relative to the vanilliness uh, actually weighs itself towards the minor tastes in the food. I'm noticing that you're using all the, all the examples so far are very simple sort of foods. So like cheese, cured meat, yeah. vanilla ice cream. 
Because yeah. in your first test when I was around, uh, you did nachos with MSG. I did. I... And I could not tell the difference between the two of them. Me neither. Um, Absolutely not. <laughs> how have you gone with some of the more complex stuff that you cook? I think have you worked out how to use it, it or is it still on... kind of... It depends on how well you've cooked the item in the first place, Dan, I think. I... Because with some multi-ingredient things, like on occasion, have you ever, you know, made a spaghetti bolognese and the bolognese sauce, you essentially just tasted like there's the tomatoiness over there, right? And the meatiness over there and maybe a little bit of veg and herb, right? But they were very, for lack of a better word, far apart, right? You could taste mm -hmm. them individually, but they did not mesh together that well as a cohesive sauce. With that, I've added MSG to that and it appears to, I think because it does reduce these and make them relative to each other less, uh, less intense, I guess, the ingredients mm -hmm. in between those, those different individual tastes, your sauce end up, ends up tasting more as a cohesive band of all of those flavours, right? where you can't necessarily sharply discern this is the meat part, this is the vegetable part, and this is tomato part. Right? It is one sauce after you've done that. Hmm, I see. And so does that mean it does not much in the air quotes better cook sauce where things are meshed already? Well, this is the thing. The question is how did they mesh it in the first place, right? If a sauce is cooked well, what made it be cooked well? Are there other like hidden sources of glutamate there? Secret MSG. Well, that's what I'm saying. The secret MSG is it's the best kind of MSG, right? Because then you I don't, don't have salt. I just have MSG. <laughs> <laughs> a little pot of MSG sitting next to my stove and I tell people it's salt. I mean, what goes into your uh, recipe then? What goes into your family recipe? I don't know if I can tell you all of that. It's a, it's a family secret thing. <laughs> it's, it's been a, handed it's down secret. from... Yeah, it's been handed down from my grandmother to <laughs> my parents to me. Yeah, um, I mean, like, have you made little additions to it on the way on your on your search for spaghetti masteriness? Yes, I have. Um, although one one of the weirdest ingredients that hasn't changed is it's got Vegemite in it. Hey, hey, hey. looks like you've got some secret MSG in there. Ooh. Secret MSG, um, which is to <laughs> replace beef stock essentially, because that's kind of the flavour it gives off. Just very intense. If I yeah, didn't tell you, you wouldn't know it was in there. Yeah. It's my secret MSG. <laughs> See, there it is. I mean, what led you to put that in there in the first place? Like, well, experiment or? no, no, that was part of what was handed down to me. So I don't actually know the story of how it ended up in there to start with. Hmm. Okay. So then have you made your own additions or things that you like that your family doesn't that you add to it routinely now? Um, I will often more heavily garlic my sauce than others in my family. Yeah, look, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> and I've, I tend to mix up the herbs each time. The problem being uh, I can never remake the same sauce ever again. <laughs> so like contrary to like the rest of, or not the rest of, but almost the rest of my cooking mm -hmm. and the way you do your ramen, like my pasta sauce is like nothing is weighed. Yeah. The only thing that's actually measured is the 
tomato soup that is in part of the sauce, which I buy a specific tin. Yeah. That's it weighed okay. out. Everything so else on, is just... On your road to mastery, essentially you're doing this sort of like zigzaggy pattern where you're like slowly but surely approaching better and better sauce, but wildly deviating every time you make it. Yep. No, they're never the same. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then like overall, like, what would you say like your ability to make your specific pasta sauce, is it overall better than it was a year ago? Do you think? Uh, definitely. It is definitely overall better than it was a year ago. Yeah. Okay. And why do you think Just, that is? I cook it probably too often because <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes great batch cooking and you just freeze it and it's like oh i don't want to cook dinner tonight i will just whip some pasta out of the freezer yeah look it's a it's a good strategy not gonna lie <laughs> that and it's great good for putting in lasagna too yeah well that's awesome man uh, i think everyone's got their own uh, little secrets to how they do their pasta uh, and whatever ingredients you like is one thing but also the way in which you prepare it is another thing right? mm. and like have you ever gone through an entire process and done something one way over and over again because you thought that you made it better and then one day have to back up that process and change it because it was ruining something <laughs> that you didn't know about until later probably but i can't <laughs> think of it something offhand because it sounds like something i do yeah uh, Man, like it's all the bits of these um, small mastery things that you know are not on the actual recipe pages that really, because mm. uh, like you end up hitting yourself against the wall. And yes, look, the feeling of undoing that, changing it, and then like actually getting better at whatever you're trying to make is a really good feeling, right? But when you make that realization uh, after you try the change for the first time, and you realize you've wasted like a year of your life making it wrong. <laughs> It feels bad, man. Yeah. Like I spent a good uh, three months with my espresso making. I only realizing that like I was grinding far too fine for my espresso maker because uh, it was taking ages to come out, but like it was getting like thick, black, over extracted, bitter as hell. Like, yes, this is what I like my coffee. Mm -hmm, I guess. <laughs> I'm a real adult. I drink black coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until like I just tried a finer grind setting that I was like, hey, wait a minute. This coffee doesn't taste like ass now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this so wrong. <sighs> yeah. And it, it's those sorts of things. It's like, uh, why have I done this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you feel that way uh, designing any of the puzzles in your escape room? Um yeah some of those i've looked at and i'm just like no just there was many ideas on the cutting room floor for that thing hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i suppose we should back up a little and actually tell the people about your escape room yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those that don't know uh and that will be which is all of you <laughs> <laughs> uh dan made uh, and designed an escape room uh, and this was in the context of essentially some uh, low level restrictions uh, related to COVID, uh, but essentially it meant that- I know, the forbidden topic. Yeah, look- The forbidden topic. We'll sweep that away in post editing, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> so we did up uh, and essentially planned 
to have an escape room uh, in my apartment block building. Uh, and just like essentially in my flat, uh, in the three rooms that are there, uh, progressing from room to room. Uh, it was a heck of an ordeal. And frankly, I don't know how you did it, Dan, because uh, it would have taken, well, for one, Dan does not live anywhere near here and had to do it essentially off of me sending three pictures shittily on my phone to him. <laughs> what am I working with? What's on the walls? <laughs> how big is the space? Uh, and so he went into a bit of a furor with that. Uh, so tell us, Dan, uh, what was the process like? Well, I don't know if I've told you part of this. So originally, the plan was to host the escape room somewhere else. Um, so it started off being written with a different location and as a result, setting in mind. Mm. Um, that, um, that fell through fairly quickly. Um, and so then I had to... Oh, then I retooled a lot of what I had already to fit around your apartment and the stuff that was there. Like one of the puzzles that hit the cutting room floor was the original location has like a big chess set. Um, and so I was going to have it set up with like a game partway through progress with yep. just a key hidden under the one piece that you had to move to get a checkmate. Just... That's a checkmate. We play in chess. Do, do, do. <laughs> Don't mind me, audience. I'm just referencing a literally decade-old meme at the moment. <laughs> it's five. <laughs> uh, did, you, did you feel like you, like you had lost uh, out on anything? Like After having you know, conceptualised and made the puzzle uh, for the original location when you know we actually moved the location and that puzzle couldn't be done did you feel any sense of loss for it uh i did feel some loss for it because i thought that was a particularly clever puzzle if it was going to work um but i did get some other i got a better one in exchange to do with uh the compass um that we used to set up a puzzle which I couldn't have done at the original location because it's very obvious which directions are north and south from your place. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas uh, at your your place, it's like, I have never seen this land before in my life. <laughs> and I think I came from that way, but I've also spun around four times. <laughs> it was excellent. Did any of the uh, chess puzzles get recycled? Or are you planning that for a future room? Uh, maybe in a future room, but it may be just something that falls onto the cutting room floor permanently. Yeah. Okay. And how did you feel the people went like, in the escape room? Did, did, did people meet your expectations? Uh, some people got very over-analytical on these puzzles, which is really weird to see as the, as the person who wrote them. So I wrote them <laughs> on, like, on the base rules of an escape room, which generally should be that you should be able to work out all the things with no prior knowledge. Mm. Everything in the room should be, like all the clues should be in the room. This puzzle is intended for eight and up. Um, and so we used a, a Catan board in one puzzle and one guy literally sat down and just started like 
counting the victory points and like analyzing it according to the rules of Catan. And it was nowhere near that hard. <laughs> I mean, like when you are a puzzle maker of any distinction, you generally expect to be like, okay, I will set the puzzle level like at, you know, 80, right? And like, I'm sort of expecting like the average performance to be like 65, 70, right? So like they have to use a little bit of extra brain power, right? To figure out the puzzle. You don't really ever expect the people's brain power to be like 150 and like way past the scope of your level, right? No. And it was really hard because like, this is the first time I'd done anything like this. Um, and like, could not plan, could not test. Like, I was just guessing. I'm like, these seem like reasonable puzzles. <laughs> and I just put them together and I was like, hmm. <laughs> like, well, we'll see if this works. <laughs> I think uh, my favorite bits of bearing witness uh, to the people trying to do the rooms is that the, the stupid things that we put in as like very minor challenges on the day that weren't planned were like the hardest to spot for whatever reason. Like hiding something in a lamp <laughs> so it's sticking out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We it took just everyone forever. Yeah. There's essentially like an upward facing uh, lamp in one of the rooms. Right? And then just literally just hanging outside the, the actual lampshade of it, like clearly visible, was a chess set. Right? And no one saw it until they were prompted to look at the lamp like one of those little travel chess sets. And it's just like, there's nothing, nothing weird here at all. Yeah. I mean, surely that's just how you, I know how much you like chess fin, So surely that's just how you leave your house. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I just, I just, <laughs> you know, so whenever I flick on a light, I consider mm, maybe it's time to play chess. No, nah, maybe not. I'll put that back. Um, but yeah, when we were talking about it on the day, we were just like, uh, look, this chess set has to be part of the puzzle. Put it in the room somewhere that it's easy to find. Right. And then like, I got this shit any green on my face after I put it in the lamp and then like tap Dan. It's like, Dan, can you see where I've hidden it? <laughs> and I guess our first clue should have been, I also did not find it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no one expects the lamp, hey? No, but weirdly, everybody's first thought was to go through your laundry. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was intense. Just like, Hmm, there's a large pile of shirts and underwear here. Perhaps it's written in the underwear. <laughs> Clearly they've hidden a clue at the bottom of the pile. <laughs> I should have written a note down in there. It's like, why have you done this? <laughs> yeah. What is wrong with you? It's just that clip of Reggie from... Um, oh, when was it? Back in the 3DS era of Nintendo... And he was just at E3 one year. He's like, if you haven't got a 3DS yet, what's wrong with you? <laughs> You've got problems. Oh, but writing it was really weird because I don't know if this is the way to plan it, but like I planned it in terms of, I was like, all right, here is the flow. So I had like a little chart I drew up and it was mm -hmm. like, all right, here's a start. I want to have a thing leading to an answer, leading to a thing, leading to like an answer. And then I like went back in and filled in the puzzles. 
So it's like, I knew there's like, all right, I want a Catan thing. So how do I point them to the Catan thing? And then that gives them some sort of answer. And then I had to go back and work out, well, what can I do with Catan to either do a code or a key? And because I didn't want to have one of those escape rooms where it's like, where they turn to you and it's like, well, is the answer this? Mm. It's like, no, everything in here will check itself, yeah. which meant there was a lot of number locks. Yeah. So looking at your uh, little proforma there, it's almost like you wrote a storyboard for it, but instead of like plot lines, you had mechanical lines. Had I sh have I shown you this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. Because, yeah, uh, yeah it, it sort of like ended up looking very similar to like how I draft my um, my D&D storylines. Mm. Like as a brief aside, we might talk about this next time. Uh, but I have made a soap opera three-shot version of D uh, Dungeons and Dragons, where like it's an Italian mob family, and they're all like out to sort of treat each other and confound each other, and it's a very high drama what? situation. <laughs> Tonight we are about to have one of the player characters give birth while in an active fight scene with the mob boss. <laughs> it is wild. Seems legit. Yeah, look, it's fine. <laughs> we'll carry on. Uh, we'll talk about how that happens next time. That's fine. Uh, in the meantime, are you ready <laughs> to play our regular game, Daniel? Oh, uh, hang on. I need a second. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <After> that. <laughs> and that's sort of uh, the theme of the game, isn't it? So it's just essentially mess with the other person's head. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, <laughs> uh, so... Our regular listeners uh, <laughs> may know this as we've been calling it 10 things that aren't Jackie Chan up to this point because uh, it's based on an old skit called, what is it called? I've only seen this thing once, Finn. Name 10 things that aren't Jackie Chan. <laughs> oh, it's just called that? I'm pretty sure. Cool. Um, today we're changing the name because that's too wordy. Um, so we're going to call it counterintelligence, but the rules are the same. Um, so uh, it is, we are asking each other to list a certain number of items, uh, excluding a subcategory of items of that type. Uh, so Dan, what have you got for me today? Uh, I feel like mine just keep getting stupider and stupider. All right. <laughs> I want you to give me, Oh, I don't know if there's five of these, but we'll find out. Okay. Five words that rhyme with the word weight, as in, this is a heavy weight. I mean, it doesn't matter, right? Because, because they rhyme, they're phonies. No, no, it matters. So they have to rhyme with the word weight, but they uh -huh. all have to be spelt differently. Okay, as in spelled differently to W, as in that do not end in E-I-G-H-T is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Right. I assume I can't also use weight. <laughs> no. Pause <laughs> in time. Okay. Uh, all right. I will use hate, so A-T-E. Uh, I will use bait as A-I-T. Uh, I will use mate as A-T-E. Uh, I will use... Straight as A I G H T, uh, and I will use fate as an F E T E. Get out of here. Uh, 
Hang on, I don't know if you can have straight because it's still I G H T. It is not E I G H T. Okay. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Alrighty. Okay, that was a. That was well done. Yeah, that was a out of out of left field. I I am glad that it has quite a few rhymes <laughs> and. <laughs> Which is such that all of the diphthongs are really messed up, so the vowel sounds are really weirdly spelled. Yep. Now give me five words that rhyme with orange. Ah, uh, I would relay <laughs> that Eminem clip if I remembered it. <laughs> Something about, about purple door hinge, um, and then purple. <laughs> all right. Uh, as a clapback, uh, I'm. We're going to do, like, this is a little bit of a variable one because uh, it depends on your interpretation of what these mean. Um, but I'm opting for the broadest interpretation. Cool, cool. So, Daniel, can you name five public holidays that do not have religious connotations? New Year's Day. Cool. That that is our first. I will I will allow it. It is arguable, but okay. <laughs> Labor Day. Yes. Celebrate. Queen's birthday. Correct. We do not live in a uh, a monarchy that also has an emperor. <laughs> um, Australia Day. Correct. That is foundational. And Proclamation Day. I did not realize Proclamation Day was a holiday. <laughs> there you go. Well, we don't, we don't, well, some states in Australia don't have Boxing Day. South Australia's got Proclamation Day. Right on. Okie dokie. Uh, with Boxing Day, out of interest, right? What is that? <laughs> I don't know, because it's <laughs> Boxing Day. Google, tell me the answer. Yeah. But the reason why, like, I say that there are some arguable ones is because, like, New Year's Day, historically speaking, right, was religiously connotated. Fair enough. Fine, then. Melbourne Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you got me there. <laughs> Boxing Day... Thought to, thank you, Wikipedia, thought mm -hmm. to originate it as a holiday to give gifts to the poor. Today, Boxing Day is known primarily, primarily as a shopping holiday. Well, that changed quickly. <laughs> there you go. Oh, boy. All right. That, that was a fast five. We've done really well this week. Obviously, the categories were too easy this week. Yeah, we're getting soft. <laughs> All right. So for our first ever time, uh, we both got it easily. Uh, we are running on time and ahead of schedule on the podcasts. What's wrong with us, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How did we get this good this fast by episode three? You're going to say good. That's the word you're going to use, is it, to describe our show? <laughs> <laughs> How did we get this efficient? I'll let that slide. Yeah, we could. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So we are now sliding out of our episode. Uh, any last words you want to say to the people, Dan? <laughs> it was a terrible joke. Smooth segue. <laughs>
we smoothly slid out of this one, you're saying? Yeah, we swooshed right out of there. We swooshed right out. Yeah. I thought you swooshed right in. <laughs> Old memes. Don't yeah, mind us. In, then out, uh, and we're good. Anyway, this is, this is, this is now we've become very inefficient in the last <laughs> one. Good. So we're back to where we're meant to be. Yeah, cool. All right. So sharp wrap-ups. Uh, we will hear from you guys sometime uh, when this releases in August. Um, again, the email is variety is the spice of life podcast at gmail.com if you want to send anything in. Uh, and let's uh, let's cut it there. Just hard cut. Yep. See you later.